0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Well, it's fitting perhaps that this morning is uh, my birthday um, because the theme of which I was trying to figure out how to deliver and how to talk about discipleship this morning got me thinking about the birth of my own children um, and parenting. And so that's going to be our path for much of this morning. But it got me a little nostalgic and it got me thinking about kind of my own upbringing, my own raising. Um, So September 19th, 1986, I was born to a God-fearing family. Very fortunate. Got the spiritual bingo right off the bat, right, by having great parents. And the more and more you look back, the more and more you grow, in your life, you probably look back and realize if you had great parents, what a blessing in the Lord that is. And if not, right, that God is sovereign and he is good. and He is a heavenly father better than any earthly father or mother could ever be. But for me, I was very blessed. I won the spiritual bingo right off the bat. Both my parents love and have served the Lord their entire lives, made a lot of sacrifices over the years in order to be able to serve him. And that left impacts on me early on, I thought for the worse, later realizing for the better. Many of those sacrifices meant that we moved around a lot as kids. And so I do not know any of my childhood friends. You might say I don't have friends from kindergarten, friends from first or second or third grade, anything like that. Um, We moved around too much as my dad moved from pastor to pastor. I have a desire to serve the Lord. But eventually we landed in Indiana and I am a Hoosier for better or worse. Um, this this is where we have set our roots, and um, really, it's home. My earliest memories are of Texas. I was born in St. Louis, but I really have few memories of anywhere but corn stalks in Indiana. Let's go. Actually, watermelons. Watermelons was what the farmer almost was always putting uh, behind our house. One season would be watermelons, another would be corn and soybeans, but the watermelons were the most fun because they'd leave the old nasty ones. We'd throw them in the back of my truck, and we do things we probably shouldn't do. Uh, but watermelons were fun. You could, you could, yeah, you could have some fun with watermelons. Um, yeah. The seedless watermelons are invented down here in Southern Indiana. That's right. Woo-hoo. Um, yeah. Seedless watermelons. Uh, <clears throat> incredible parents, not only physically, but also spiritually, right? Nurtured me, made, made sure I went to church. I I regretted that you know as a kid you know tried to rebel against that some but always at church every Sunday always at the weekly Sunday school meetings um, youth groups weekend retreats I still remember one weekend retreat to Nashville one time. Uh, we went skiing, and I bungee jumped because I was legally allowed to, Sam, and my parents couldn't say no. I think I had just turned either 17 or 18. I don't remember what it was, but it was the, the legal age to be able to sign off myself without my parents having to sign off, and so I, I did it, and they were, well, they were gracious. There was nothing they could do about it, I suppose. They didn't kick me out, but um, I remember I did that on a youth retreat one time, so Dave Cannon, if you were listening to this later, watch out. Um... Yeah, hoodlum kids will try that on you. Uh, I definitely did. All of those things to say, though, and the spiritual investments over the years, it took not just my parents' investing, though it can be just your parents, but it took God placing other men and women in my life that eventually led me to the Lord. Now, everything that they did was built really for the most part on the shoulders of everything that my parents did for many generations, many, many years of investments. But eventually God brought other people into my life. And God has so chosen and designed that often it's not just the physical parents of a child that will lead that child to the Lord. Yes, absolutely. It is God's design and desire to see parents nurture their children in the Lord. Absolutely. But he also sovereignly often will interwork other people into their lives. Um, And fittingly, It was about mid-September 2006 as well, so this is another anniversary for me, that I came to know the Lord. It was right after my freshman year of college, that summer. Uh, My best friend from high school actually had gotten cancer earlier on the year before, and he passed away. And it was coming to grips of one of the illustrations that we wrestled with, the Lordship Diagram. You guys might remember the Lordship Diagram, right? We did the thrones, we did the throne diagram, we did some of the bubbles and stuff. It was that illustration that made me understand after 18 years of going to church my entire life and hearing the gospel, absolutely, that I understood for the first time, if this is true, that Christ has to be Lord of your life and I don't get to call the shots, I'm not a believer. It was that. It was that talk. It was that illustration that helped me personally. It's the reason I wanted to share it with you all. That helped me understand I wasn't in Christ, but there was no urgency. I'll take care of it later. I'm just going to enjoy the world. So I thought, and then I'll, you know, I'll deathbed confession, I'll come to Christ at the end after, I, and then I'll get best to both worlds, right? I'll get heaven and I'll get to enjoy the world. That was my thought. That was my thought. It wasn't until mid-September that I realized I had already settled for less. By trying, thinking I was going to get more out of the world, I had settled for less. I had settled for less. Christ was the better portion. So my life forever changed at that point, but it didn't stop there that was just the beginning. And there were men who have invested in my life deeply from that point in time on that made my life forever different by coming alongside of me and discipling me because spiritually my life had eternally changed, but practically a lot of things in my life hadn't changed. Many of you who have come to Christ, you've seen the same things. There are sin patterns at times that carry right on with you after you become a believer, and God has to change you and develop you and nurture you in those areas. There are some things that do immediately change. For me, it was language. I don't know why. God was just gracious, probably a good thing. My language immediately changed when I became a believer. Uh, Just all the anger maybe or whatever it was, there's just no need, you know, and my, my lips were changed much like in an almost Isaiah moment there in a sense though. That was obviously signifying more there in Isaiah 6. God cleansed me in that way, but there were many other things that God had to continue to work out in my life. And so too it is for all of us. Much like a child cries the moment it is born, to go back into the womb right it just wants what it wants and that was safe and that was warm and we're going to be there all over again really soon so that image is you know very strong for me the thought of that so too it is for a young believer in many times they just gut react back to the patterns that they had before when, before they became a believer. And the things that they found comfort or the things that they found pleasure in before they were believers, they find themselves returning to those things almost out of reaction without even realizing at first, like, wait a second. But what you need to be looking for is conviction, right? An inability to enjoy their sin in the way they did before. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. And this is where discipleship comes in this is where discipleship comes in. My wife reminded me of Proverbs 22. I thought I would share it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I mean, that's the hope. That's the hope of parenting of any parent is that you just pray and hope is that as you invest and you raise them well in the Lord, that when you're long gone, They are still faithfully walking with God. That is the hope for any parent, whether you're a physical parent or a spiritual parent discipling them. That is the desire. And so, too, it is not just with real parenting, um, I don't want to say real parenting, physical parenting in the flesh, but also spiritual parenting. And God uses this illustration a lot in his word. This isn't something I'm making up. I mean, obviously the Lord calls Israel or his people later, his children over and over again. We see it in the apostles and in the epistles as well, all over the place. 1 John, right? John picks up the same language often, my little children, my little children, right? I'm writing to you so that you may know that your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you that you may not that you may not sin. This same parental language is being used by the apostles over and over. Peter as well does the same later on, right? Like newborn infants crave or yearn or long for that pure spiritual milk, that you may know that the Lord is good, that you may grow up in your salvation. The apostles have adopted that language. And so it's a, it's a very helpful illustration for us to think about discipleship. Um, and my view will never be the same after the birth of my kids. I can't get away from viewing discipleship much like parenting. So we're going to use that this morning. Hopefully it's helpful. Maybe it's not. Um, hopefully hopefully it is, though. Um, many of the first years of a kid's life are what? What do you do? First year, what do you, what's the only thing you're really doing? Yeah, Kathy. Sleep, sleep and eat. And other things. other things. By other things, she means poo. Yes, thank you, Deb. Yes, right? You feed them, you put them to bed, and you clean them up, right? That's really, and rinse and repeat. Uh, that's, that's really much of the first year. Um, boy, and those first ones. Ooh. Um, Yeah, messy, right? Messy, messy, messy. But that's much of the early part of a young child's life and development, born into this world, weak, feeble, and in deep need of nutrients and just being taken care of, right? So too it is with young believers in many ways, right? We're going to get into that very, very soon. But you just. You're just feeding them, you're just pouring into them, you're just cleaning up their messes and watching them slowly grow, nurture, and develop. Um, Eventually, some developmental opportunities then do begin to come into place, and that's gonna be number two. If you're filling in the blanks, I'll have it up on the slide here in a little bit. But the first one is just feed, you're just feeding them year after year after year early early on feeding 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 but then some development begins to come in and you can actually maybe teach them a thing or two right this is where the dads often get really excited okay i can teach them how to throw a ball or potty training or even how to feed themselves right gracie's in the process of learning how to use a fork right now and it's so fun to watch her just stab it like she's using a trident and then you know she doesn't learn hasn't learned to turn the hand back over no she holds it like this and then you know brings it back real awkwardly Um, But she's so excited, right? Because she's learning how to actually feed herself. And half the time, she's dropping it all over herself. And then Charlie's thrilled because he's getting all the crumbs. And so he always just sits right underneath her and eats everything up, right? The crumbs underneath Gracie's feet are good. They are good. And you get to develop your children slowly over time, teach them life skills, teach them all sorts of different things, self-care, relational skills, um, what to look for in another spouse later. Some of you in later seasons of life have had the privilege of getting to see your kids marry and hopefully marry well, right? And all of this eventually leads to you're going to send your kids out into a big, scary world right? Uh, a lot of times that's the college experience or whatever that may be, getting a full-time job. And hopefully, the hope is, like we just said, that they find a good spouse. They find a good helper in life. Uh, For many, that ends up being the case, and they get married, and then they have kids of their own. So not only do you send them, that's number three, but then they multiply their lives, and you get to be, this is what my parents said they've loved even more than being parents, makes you feel real good as a child, grandparents right? They get to be grandparents, and they love getting to be grandparents. Um, uh, All the fun, none of the responsibility. That's what some people jokingly say, but that's not the case, really. There's plenty of responsibility of being a good grandparent, and I can't say this one from experience like I can all the others, but vicariously looking into my parents' life and seeing it uh, learned a lot from them. This is the season you get to be the patriarch of your family, and you get to kind of reconnect with your kids even almost, that there's this distancing that almost happens as the leave and cleave happens when they get married. And then they get married and all of a sudden they have something in common with mom and dad again that they didn't have in common, right? A similar season of life. And now the questions start to flow in again, how to deal with conflict or how to deal with budgeting, you know, or so on and so forth. And all these opportunities start presenting themselves of reconnecting and the patriarchs Speaking back into their children's life, but in a different way, right? In a more peer-to-peer kind of relationship. We'll get into that a little bit more later. So these are the this is the framework for our morning, this morning: feeding, developing, sending, and then multiplying, or the grandparent season of life, and and. As we follow this physically in life, I think God sovereignly has given us this as a picture for us to be able to understand spiritual discipleship and how we are meant to come alongside of people and multiply our lives, all with a vision, of course, remembering from where we began, Revelation chapter seven. And it is God's desire, aim, and mind that what we failed to do at the beginning in Adam, right, Genesis, of filling the world with image-bearing, God-glorifying sons and daughters of God, that Christ is going to complete this. And one day before the throne, the whole world, every tribe, language, tongue, will sit before the throne, worshiping the king. And how is he gonna bring it out to be? Beautiful feet, beautiful discipleship. He's going to multiply through his people to bring this to be. So that's our framework and our vision for this morning. So like we talked about, step one is feeding, feeding the kid, feeding the kid. And much like um, with physical parenting, many of the early years, you are just feeding, 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 and feeding will eventually lead its way to developing. Um, But you just want to feed them. And of course, feed them the word. You want to feed them the word of God. We mentioned 1 Peter 2 earlier, like newborn infants, Long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation, that you may mature in your walk with God. New believers need to be established in the word early, early on. Um, Any of the means of grace, we're going to talk about some of these means of grace as we go, but we want them to be established in the word of God. Um, We want them to see that everything they need, right, it's not just bread alone. God talked about this in Deuteronomy 8, that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You think of Christ trying to help come alongside of and further develop even some of his men on the road to Emmaus. And what did he use to open up their eyes? He began with Moses and the prophets and interpreted all that the scriptures had to say concerning himself and then it's actually when he broke bread with them just like he did at the last supper right their eyes opened; they realized he was christ and then of course he was gone right jesus opened up the word to his disciples he trained them in the word of god um, can't probably think much farther than second timothy in this as well right you're probably already thinking of this verse. right do yourself do your best to present yourself to god as one approved A worker who has no need to be ashamed, here it is, rightly handling or rightly dividing, I think the King James uses. I I can't get away from that. I like that particular translation of this passage, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of God is, well, it's much like a double-edged sword, right? Like Hebrews talks about. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I often think of a double-edged sword, you know, kind of like a scalpel. Oh, Doc Hobb's not here. I was going to point him out. Doc Hobb, right? You put a scalpel in Hobson's hands and it's okay because he knows what he's doing with it. You take that same scalpel and you put it in my son's hands, Canaan, who's four, right? That's going to that's gonna breed nothing but death and destruction, right? Now, that scalpel is a useful tool, very, very sharp, made for precise cutting and can give life to somebody, right? If used in the right way but put in an untrained, unskilled hand, it, it can do a lot of damage. So too it is with God's word. Young believers need to be trained and developed how to rightly handle the word of God. There are many young believers, myself included, that have just thrown around the truths of God's word and honestly hurt people by not handling it with also love. There's truth in God's word, but it needs to be coupled with the godly character of love and grace. And of course, nobody did that better of delivering truth and grace than Christ. Himself. It does not mean that he wasn't firm at times. It does not mean that he didn't call people a brood of vipers at times. It doesn't mean we probably have the same amount of levity. We may not have the same amount of grace to be able to say that perfectly. I don't know. You might have to ask yourself, maybe you're far more mature than me, to be able to deliver that with the perfect amount of love and grace. I'm not sure how you do. Um, but we need to know how to rightly handle the Word of God, how to rightly interpret the Word of God, how to work on danger, big word, have a good hermeneutic, and how you handle the Word of God. And of course, first and foremost, we can't spend an entire morning on it, but just that that God is His own interpreter. We are not the interpreters of God's Word. God Himself is His own interpreter. This is a beautiful spot where beautiful theology leads to beautiful feet, and beautiful theology and feet leading to beautiful discipleship. I think many at Faith Bible Church are an incredible spot Be able to be a blessing to a younger generation of believers in this particular area. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much diversity in the body of Christ here and as far as giftings and benefits, but this is one that we have as a as a body been very blessed over the years to be in a great position to help folks in this way. You know, one of the things we really want young believers to know and understand about the Word of God is just it's a means of intimacy with God. You think of the psalmist in Psalm 34, to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's also a means of, of being sanctified and refined in our walks with God. You probably were already thinking of the 2 Timothy three sixteen verse, right? The word of God is useful. It's for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman may be complete, equipped, or ready for every good work. Love that. Right. What, is, what is God's word useful for? It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Right? All of these things, if you want to begin to pour into and feed and develop a young believer, they need the word of God. There are so many things that you could say that would teach the same thing that one simple passage in scripture would say. So let God say it instead of you. <laughs> one of the things that was probably more annoying, <laughs> I felt like early on when I was being discipled, was the guy who was mentoring me would never tell me what to do. I would constantly go to him and be like, just tell me what I'm supposed to do here. That would be really helpful. I'm literally asking you, tell me what to do. And he'd go, that's interesting. Why don't we read something here? And he'd pull out his Bible again. I'm like, come on, man. I'm trying to figure out what you have to say about this. And it took me a while to realize, now this is a man who submitted underneath the authority of God's word. What he has to say doesn't matter to me or to him. It's not his opinion that ultimately matters because he has set himself underneath the authority of the word of God. And so too, I need to do that as well. I was trying to set myself underneath the authority of my mentor, right? Because I thought he knew best and he's trying to help rightly align me again. He's like, no, you submitted to Christ, brother. You need to go to him for the answers to your questions. And so we need to be careful in our discipleship not to set ourselves up as many lords, people's lives but point them always back to christ and how do we do that feeding them the word of god over and over and over again we talked about hebrews 4 earlier right the word of god it's living it's active it's sharper than any double-edged sword piercing the division of joints marrow spirit right judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts often for a young believer they're gonna have a hard time figuring out what they're feeling what they're thinking what's going on In their life. You may have a hard time figuring out what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what's really going on in their life. Praise God that he has given us his word that does it for us. You don't have to figure it out. You can just get in the word with them, pray with them. We're going to talk about that next. And God will judge the thoughts and intentions of their heart. God will help them discern that through his word. I mean, Jeremiah was not wrong when he was inspired to say that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? We can't. <laughs> we can't, but God's word can. We need to feed them the word of God. That is what they need. Um and they just need three square meals a day. Uh, that's that's what you uh, tell your kids, right? You want to feed them three square meals a day. Of course, there's probably not time to break away three times in a day. Maybe for a younger believer, if they have a lot of capacity and time, you know, they don't have a lot of responsibilities, aren't married, don't have a full-time job or kids. Uh, but we want to encourage consistency, just as you wouldn't encourage any of your children to go a day without a meal. So, too, we wouldn't encourage a young believer to not feed on the Word of God every day day. So we just want to try to instill within them some type of consistency, a daily time away in God's word. Of course, coupled with time in the word, uh, you know, with intimacy with God is is prayer. To to have one without the other is to truly not have one, to be honest. They both go together. You breathe in the word of God and you breathe out back as you commune with God in prayer. Um, And Christ did this, of course, with his apostles. You can look no further than Luke 11 as they came to him and he was always just praying. He wasn't even browbeating them with this. Christ would always just retreat and enjoy this intimacy with his father. And eventually they're like, hey, could, would you teach us to pray, please? We need to be practically coming alongside of and lovingly teaching them to pray. Now, it may not be, hey, you need to pray, pray like this, but rather just when you're getting time with young believers, you need to be bathing the time in prayer, helping them understand. And hopefully this is just already your gut reaction that they will just see, wow, prayer's really important to this guy. For some reason, he prays before he eats every time. I guess he's thankful. Or for some reason, every time we get done talking about something, he's like, you know what? We should just pray about this brother, sister. And for some reason, I guess that's a thing. And slowly but surely, that will bleed over into them that they begin to see your dependence upon the Lord, that they will see their need for dependence upon the Lord in that way. I think of 1 Peter 5, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Not just because he can do something about it, but because you know that the Lord God actually cares. He's intimately involved these moments of your life. If you're wanting to work on something practical, this has been helpful for me over the years. Someone else came up with this. I did not come up with this. It's a little small, I apologize. Just called the ACTS model, A-C-T-S, ACTS model. Someone just making observations over uh, really the early life of the church in the book of Acts. And it's just short for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, confession, Thanksgiving and supplication. The design here is just that we wouldn't just run to God with our requests. Now, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of times that I love when my kids run to me with requests. You know, even this morning, I'm trying to get out the door, making my coffee, selfishly, not thinking of my son. He goes, Dad don't go before you make my chocolate milk. And of course, he's shouting this from the other room. He's not even in the same room. You know, you got to make my chocolate milk, right? He was just supplicating. He's just making his request known. It wasn't, dad, you're the best dad in the world. And I confess that, you know, I just don't often that grateful and, you know, as thankful as I should be. I'm so thankful for you. By the way, would you please make for me chocolate milk before you go? No, of course not. He's just throwing it out there, right? And I mean, if we're being honest, are we too different with our heavenly father often, right? Something pops up. And it's like, hey, here I am again, right? And we're just throwing up these missiles of supplication often, but we need to be instilling and practicing ourselves, quite frankly, right? Remembering that our time with God is more than just the grandpa moments where we're asking for stuff right? That the whole point of prayer is just communion and enjoyment of God first and foremost. And so this is a helpful model just to begin to model what prayer is all about and that enjoyment and that intimacy with God to endure him, to see him for his beauty and his holiness. And as you begin to behold Christ and who he is, Much like Isaiah and Isaiah 6, as he sees the holiness of God, he cannot help but see his own sin and insufficiencies, right? And that leads to confession as you begin to behold the glory glory and beauty of God, and you confess your sin, and you see your insufficiency, which then, of course, reminds you of your need of the gospel, which leads to so much thanksgiving. Right and understanding who you are now in Christ and how much God has provided for you and how grateful you are for Him. And then, of course, after you've had a moment to enjoy that intimacy with God, to confess your sin and feel restored right in your intimacy with Him, though positionally you're perfect and can never lose what you never deserved or earned, now you are in a spot that you've not only beheld the King, but you can make requests, right? And then is supplication then is supplication. And of course, they're going to fail, you're going to fail, and when all else fails, hey, God is sufficient and prays for us, right? Maybe you don't know what to pray. Maybe they don't know what to pray. Denise pointed this passage out to me last night. I was like, oh man, that's so perfect, right? God is so gracious that even in a young believer's life, if they're like, I don't know how to pray, I don't know what I need to pray, cool, take them to Romans chapter eight, right? God himself through his spirit intercedes on our behalf, intercedes on their behalf with groanings too deep for words. We don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. So God does it for you. Now, doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. Doesn't mean they shouldn't pray, right? But just so much grace here to know that God himself is coming alongside of us and praying for us, right? To the throne in ways that we don't even know we should be praying. We need to be feeding them. The word of God. We need to be feeding them the other means of grace and teaching them, developing them to learn how to pray. It starts with a young believer learning how to commune with God, but goes on, of course, obviously for the rest of their life. Now, one of the other means of grace that is incredibly important, not just feeding on the word of God, not just praying with the Lord, but learning interdependence on the body of Christ, fellowship, Right, fellowship with the body of Christ is one of the other great means of grace that you want to begin to instill in the life of a young believer. You probably already thought, oh, we're going to Hebrews 10. You can't talk about fellowship without talking about Hebrews 10. It's such a perfect passage. Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, right? Um, we want to encourage each other. God himself, think about this. God himself is a trinity. God himself is a fellowship. They complement one another. They're different in role and function within the Trinity. Now, they're one in being, they're one in essence, all of them fully God. But within that Trinity, there's variety, there's diversity, there's beauty, there's, there's interdependence and interplay in between them as they complement one another. And God has made us in his image, And in this way, in this mysterious way, we shadow that image of God in this way that in the body of Christ, we have that as well, where we are interdependent upon one another, where we complement each other. Romans, oh man, I love this passage in Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are in one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There is an interdependence on each other. The hand cannot say to the foot, I do not need you. And it's quite fitting, you might say, that learning to have that humility of seeing your need for other people in your life, honestly, it takes humility. And what is... Romans 12, 4, and 5, sandwiched in contextually right before it is a call to sober judgment of self. (laughs) Romans 12, 3, I call on you by the grace given to me that each of you think of yourselves not more highly than you ought to think, but to think of yourself with sober judgment. The same humility that hopefully you would instill before the life of a young believer and helping them see that you do not have it all figured out. That being an older believer in Christ is not about having all the right answers. It's not about living a perfect life. It's not about being sinless, but rather it's a life of weakness made perfect in the strength of Christ and resting in the gospel that they would find that it's okay to be weak, that it's okay to not have all the answers. That's the truth of the gospel. It's not about having it all figured out. It's not about being right. And if you're perfect all the time in front of your disciples, guess what they think they need to be when they become an older believer? They think they need to be perfect. If you have all the right answers all the time and you just answer all their questions rather than saying, you know what? I'm not sure. Let's turn to the word of God. They'll think that's what they're supposed to be when they get older. Being a mature believer in Christ is not being strong. It's being weak, finding your strength in Christ. It's not about having it all together. It's not about being able to do everything yourself, but finding that complement and that strength in the body of Christ. We need to be instilling in young believers that humility, that sober view of self that we need one another and that we don't have it all figured out. It's at that point that they will see the freedom to be vulnerable about their sin because they definitely don't have it all together, just like we don't. And so if we're open and confessing our sin and being vulnerable and not having it all figured out, guess what your young believer friend that you're hoping to invest into will feel freed up to do as well. They'll feel freed up to be vulnerable. They'll feel freed up to confess their sin as well. And they'll find their hope and trust not in having it all together, but in Christ which is where they need to be turning. I was trying to think of a helpful illustration. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. It's terrible, but uh, hopefully it's helpful. Before I got married, I had a terrible diet. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not very good yet. Uh, still getting there. But before I got married, I had a really, really, really bad diet. If it wasn't a frozen pizza or a you know, microwave burrito, it wasn't being had uh, for me growing up. Uh, or When I was older, in my 20s. Um, and one of the amazing things that happened uh when i got married is all of a sudden there was fruit and vegetables in my life <laughs> it was incredible it's like oh so there's colorful food other than red pepperonis i did not uh, how about that and one of the things that i didn't know about keeping fruit and vegetables alive particularly fruit for the purposes of the illustration is some fruit you don't want to keep near each other right come to find out bananas See, she has a good diet. Deb knows. Bananas are really bad to keep next to all your other fruit. Come to find out. I didn't know that. And all our fruit kept dying for a while. When we were first married, I was like, oh, because I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to keep in the bananas like way over here. And the reason is because bananas will leach ethylene. I had to Google that. I don't think I had that all figured out. The leach ethylene. <laughs> Actually, Denise Googled it. I didn't even Google it. <laughs> And that ethylene will kill, it will spoil the other fruit more quickly than if it were surrounded by better fruit that doesn't. Now, you see where I'm going with this illustration? Young believers, young believers are going to be surrounded by influences in their lives that are going to be leeching and influencing them to the world because all they were surrounded by, more than likely, for the most part, before they became Christ, birds of a feather flock together. And if you enjoyed sin, I enjoyed sin, so we spent time together. Young believers are going to be surrounded by terrible influences. Now, point. I am not telling you, I am not encouraging, nor does God in His Word say, rip them out of where they are. God is 100% sovereign over the circumstances, the culture, the context. That they are in. Matter of fact, God may want to use them in the incredibly sinful, dark place that they are in contextually, culturally, surrounded by other lost people. He may want to use their witness and their changed life to influence others around them. Lights are never brighter than in a dark room. Do not rip them out of that dark room. Let them be there and be a witness for Christ. But what I'm saying is, go to the dark room. Go join them. Go be in the dark room with them. Don't make them be there alone. They're going to be so influenced by so many terrible, terrible things that were influencing them terribly before they were a believer. And there's going to be messy, messy years. Much of the first year of a young baby, you're just feeding them and cleaning up the mess and feeding them and cleaning up the mess. But praise God, be there with them in the mess. And don't try to just rip them out of something. Now, if there's something destructive, unhealthy, abusive, absolutely. I'm not saying you don't get somebody out of a situation like that. There is wisdom here that is required that that takes much discernment and prayer, quite frankly. But the darkness is an opportunity for the gospel. If I would have been ripped out of, away from all of my friends that weren't believers the moment I came to Christ, there would have been two less people here sitting this morning worshiping Christ. When I first became a believer, I honestly had no idea how to communicate what had happened in my life. I was still trying to figure out what God had done, but there was a man in my life who was willing to enter into the darkness with me, and I was excited to see my friends come to know the Lord, but I didn't know how to communicate it. So I was like, could you communicate it? So I started a Bible study, I bought some pizza, and then I just shut up, and I let him do all the talking, right? And he entered into the darkness with me, and God is so gracious, and others know Christ now because it. And so we want to be careful not to try to just rip somebody out of their dark circumstances, but we need to understand that there's going to be, well, there's going to be some bananas in their life. There's going to be some ethylene leaching around them, and we need to be there quick and ready with the gospel to appropriately address these things. Does it mean sometime a banana needs to be removed? Absolutely. There are things, right, that God is calling sin, sin needs to go right? And we always call sin, sin. We do not say sin's okay by any means, but we need to be careful of playing the role of the spirit is all I'm saying, right? God is sovereign over their circumstances. And maybe God has an opportunity in mind here, right? Of where they were, of where they were before they came to know Christ. He was just as sovereign over their life before they became a believer as he is now that they are a believer. And we need to look at it through those lens, through those lens, as you've probably noticed, there is an interplay that happens here um, and as far as the feeding and developing, and all, well, all illustrations break down at some point, and this one breaks down a little bit here, because there's not just a clear line of you feed, you feed, and then you develop, right? Just so it is with raising young kids, right? You don't stop feeding them as you start developing them, Now you have to keep feeding them the rest of their lives, otherwise they won't grow, and so it is with young believers in Christ. You don't stop feeding them when you start developing them, and there's a lot of overlap it happens with those two uh, most definitely. The biggest line of delineation, I would say, is is the mess just hopefully becomes a little less as you go, right? Just as with, you know, Gracie and the first pictures of your kids, right? The first times that you try to let them feed themselves and it's just a hot mess and there's marinara everywhere, right? You're getting out of their nose, out of their ears, out of their eyes, wherever it might be. So too it is with young believers and you just feel like, I'm just constantly cleaning up messes here. My goodness. And all of a sudden you look back one day and you realize as you keep feeding them the word, developing, investing into them. The messes become a little less and a little less. Now, don't get me wrong. Adult messes can sometimes be the biggest messes. Adults are really good at making big messes. Don't get me wrong. So that's the reason you raise a child in the way you should go. Hopefully that he will not depart from it, even when he is old. So adults are really good at making big messes. Sometimes they can make the biggest ones. But the messes, hopefully, over time, by God's grace and by growth and by nurturing, become less and less and less. I tell my disciples all the time, I'm never going to be surprised when a sinner sins. And so don't be scared to come to me with a mess. There's no judgments. I am, by the grace of God, no different than anybody else. There but by the grace of God go I. All you're looking for as young disciples come to you with messes is conviction of sin, repentance, right? A desire to do better, and hopefully a harmony with what Paul, you know, spoke about in Romans chapter 7, right? Wretched man am I, who will deliver me? from this body of death, right? The good I want to do is the very thing that I don't do and the bad that I want to do is exactly what I do do, right? That is what you're looking for. You're not looking for perfection. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. We're looking for conviction and repentance and trust in the gospel. That is what we're looking for as we're developing young men and women in Christ here. And eventually, they'll become more and more able to feed themselves. They'll mature. The messes may become less, but definitely not gone altogether. And eventually, they'll see their need for others as well. And that interdependence will play in. They'll begin to realize that it's a personal relationship with God, but it is definitely not a private relationship with God. That is not what we were made to have in the body of Christ as we mirror the beauty of the Trinity and the fellowship of the body of Christ, right? We are independent. We need one another. I can still remember the day when I was eventually sent. Boy, there were tears, right? Very bittersweet day for my family. Loaded up my good old GMC Sonoma. That sucker was dragging the whole way because those shocks were already spent by the time I got to college. I think it already had 245,000 miles on it. and We were ready to go. I was excited. My parents, it was bittersweet, right? Because there were years of nurturing and developing and feeding that went into that day. But they were also excited to send me out because by God's grace, they felt somewhat that I was ready, though I definitely was not fully ready. There is a development in a mentor-mentee, a discipleship relationship that should happen in this way in many ways, where the relationship goes from mentor-mentee to more of a peer level eventually, where you are working with them and the goal should be that they would eventually be more alongside of you than just following you and actually encouraging and challenging you in your walk with God. A similar progression could be seen in the life and relationship of Christ with his apostles, Uh, Don't get me wrong here. Let me read this. Let me explain. It says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. There's development in the relationship between Christ and his apostles that happened at this point. Now, don't get me wrong. He's always going to be their Lord. He's always going to be their master. But... There was a nurturing and developing, a progressing of their relationship. That should happen for us as well with our disciples where we're eventually, there's always gonna be that looking up. Don't get me wrong, right? Much of the way I feel with many of the elders here at Faith Bible or men who have discipled me over the years, but by God's grace, there becomes a mutual respect and fellowship that happens amongst one another where you get to mutually encourage each other and mutually challenge each other. And that should be our desire and our end as well in discipleship, that eventually they would be sent and progressed and out of the nest you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? Not that they're ever on their own, not that they ever have it figured out, but rather because you see that they see their need for other people in their life and interdependence on the body of Christ, you feel more comfortable, right? A feeling and acknowledging that they're in that more pure spot in their walk with Christ. And maybe the sending is even literally being sent by the Lord, going out on missions or full-time ministry or into the workforce or into marriage and then parenting themselves. Whatever it may be, God is going to be sending them out. And just like with any parent, eventually the desire and aim is hopefully that the kids will have kids. The kids will have kids. And then you get to enter that golden era of grandparenting that I hear is so great, but I don't. Well, we'll know one day. One day. Get the joy of parenting first, but in grandparenting, right? All the fun, none the responsibility. But not really, right? There's still plenty of responsibility to be had as your children multiply their lives, right? You still feel a stewardship and a responsibility, and that's what we need to have as believers in Christ as well. Is our eye always needs to be on the third generation? As you are investing into a young man or woman in Christ. You need to always be thinking about and praying for the next generation that that young believer will influence as well. I've heard it said that every church is one generation away from extinction. And I have never been more acutely aware of that possibility than I am today at Faith Bible Church. That if we are not all individually, personally gripped, challenged, and convicted by the call of the Great Commission and to make disciples, churches won't exist anymore. And there was a church that did not acknowledge that call not too terribly long ago, just a few thousand years ago. I'm reminded of Ephesus, one of the greatest churches that was planted in its time when it was planted by Paul, by God's grace, using him. And then there became a challenge to them in Revelation chapter two by Christ himself. I know your works. I know your toil. I know your endurance. You could not bear with evil. You've even tested those who've called themselves apostles and found them to be false. Holy cow, this is a Berean-like church. This is an incredible church. But I have something against you, he said. I have something against you. You have lost the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Here's the first R. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent, And return, I'm adding that one in, so forgive me. Return, do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. There's a call to remember first and foremost, the call to the gospel. There are many things that I believe the first generation of Faith Bible Church, if we could go back and ask all of them, we're doing, we're remembering, we're thinking about. Promises they were holding to. Promises in scripture that they were claiming as they were begging God to raise up a generation of people worshiping Christ at Faith Bible Church And the question is is are we still having that same vision and mentality? We all have to treat the future of every church whether you're part of a long established church or a brand new church We all should have a first-generation mentality where we are believing that tomorrow will not happen if we do not go get the next day and the next generation and that's what they were being called to at Ephesus. Now, I can't say what happened, but I can say what didn't. You may be asking yourself, where is Ephesus? Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. If you were to look at the statistics of modern-day Turkey, I can tell you what didn't happen. They must not have remembered, they must not have repented, or they must not have returned, or all three. Because 89.5% of modern-day Turkey is Muslim. 9% is either deist atheist or Gnostic, and 0.5, along with all other religions, so it's just those claiming to be a Christian, plus all other religions, 0.5% might be a Christian. Brothers and sisters, every church is one generation away from extinction. And Christ has called us to take part of his beautiful work of reaching the nations for the gospel. We cannot lean or depend upon anybody else. Christ has corporately called all of us to be a part of this. And it's an incredible privilege. It's an incredible privilege to get to be a part of it. You know, sometimes I flirt with my wife by talking science. So I'll, I'll think about science sometimes because she's sciencey. Sometimes to stir up a solution, to make a chemical reaction happen more fast, a chemist will stir the solution. One of the other ways you can do that is you can heat it up. There's a few others I looked them up. I'm going to flirt with Denise with them later. But those are a couple of ways that you can make a reaction happen more quickly if you were a chemist. And I think we could definitely say that we have been stirred over the last year, and we have been heated up by the circumstances of life. Now, if a solution were a living being, it would not like being jostled around. <laughs> if a solution were a living being, it would not like that somebody just turned flames onto its backside. No one likes being stirred up. No one likes the heat and circumstances of life getting turned up but what we have to ask ourselves is we have to have a heavenward focus as we're going through trials and tribulations or perhaps even discipline from the lord what might the lord be up to here what is god doing this is not just humans that are making decisions here god is sovereignly doing something here what is he doing how is he interweaving this romans 8:28 for our best good and for his greatest glory That's what has to be in our eyes as we go through tough times, perhaps. The great physician is never wrong in a single stroke of his scalpel. If he cuts something away, he cut it away for a reason. Praise God. He's doing something. And maybe perhaps exactly that's what God has been up to over the last year and a half. We can have no doubt if something has happened, it's happened underneath the authority and sovereignty of God's word and his sovereign will. And it may not be that sin's not involved. Absolutely, it's possible for sin to be involved, but he is still sovereign. And he is still gonna work it together for his greatest good and his greatest glory. And that's our greatest good. Praise God. So we have to have that focus, that thought as we look heavenward to the future of Faith Bible Church. And quite honestly, it gets me fired up. I get all kinds of excited about what God is up to and how is he going to stir revival right here so that he can use us to be a better influence for the body of Christ here, for the community of Evansville, and for the nations. God has got to be up to something. I do not know what the end result's gonna be, and I do not know what God is calling us to remember in specific or to repent of. That's for each of us to individually turn to the Lord and ask and to wrestle with the word or in the body of Christ to ask for observations on our lives. And I do not know the good works in detail of every specific thing for every, pre- for every person of this church that God is calling us to, but he at minimum has got to be calling us to have more beautiful feet. Does he not? We are a church of beautiful theology that loves the sovereignty and preaching and teaching of God's word. But that beautiful theology must lead to more beautiful feet. It must lead to more beautiful feet. And praise God, we get a chance to be a part of that. We get a chance to not look to somebody else to do and be a part of this wonderful, amazing, great commission that God has called all the body of Christ to be a part of. We get to be a part of it ourselves, not just support others to do it. No, we ourselves get to get in the, be in the bunker, get our feet dirty, Be messy and see people come to know Christ and develop them in their walks with Christ. And praise God, we get to be a part of that. Every church is one generation from extinction. And Lord, let it not be us. As I think about the future, I cannot help but think of the vision that God put before others in scripture. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, Christ said. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, in the rivers, in the desert. When it seems there no, there's no way, when it seems like we have no idea what the Lord has in store for the future, he is cutting a path. He's doing a new thing. There's no need to look back to the past or to live in the past years. God's doing something new and praise God for that. We look forward to that. Have the mind of Paul. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straying forward to what lies ahead. Oh God, let it be at Faith Bible Church that we would forget what lies behind, not that we would not learn lessons that need to be learned, repent of sins that need to be repented of, remember truths and promises of scripture that we need to be remembering and return to what we did at first. And at minimum, brothers and sisters, that has to include having more beautiful feet. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning and thank you so much for the incredible privilege that you have placed us in. God, I confess that I do not see the way through the rivers or the streams, that God, I do not see the way through the desert or the wilderness, but God, you are a good God. And when you literally led your people through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, there is always a path. And God, sometimes it seems so blazingly clear and other times it seems like the fogs of life have descended and we do not know the way. But Lord, in your word, through your people, God, you are cutting away. And so God, we confess. God, we confess that we may not know the way. We confess that we may not even know what needs to be confessed. But I just pray for brokenness. I just pray for humility. God, I just pray for vision and for excitement and for vigor for what may be to come that, God, you are doing something. And yes, you discipline your people, and perhaps there is a season of that. But, Lord, if we respond in humility and brokenness and trust and in faith, God, you will mend the broken bones and you will make straight the paths. And, Lord, you will use us afresh and you will use us again in ways even better than we what we were used before. And praise God for that. Lord, we are so excited and humbled and confused by what may be to come, but Lord, we pray all the more that it would come, and we thank you for what you have done in the past, and we praise you for the glorious ways that you have used so many in our church, but pray that you would do it again, and do it in a new way, that Lord, you would use us as we hold fast to your word, first and foremost, and step out into this broken, beautiful world that, God, you desire for your message to go to, that, God, you would use us in incredible ways that we would never have thought possible, that, God, you would stir us, that you would heat us up out of a stupor and into this world, that, God, we might finally speak up to that lost neighbor. God, that we might finally step out and have that relationship-compromising conversation about the gospel with that family member because, God, they will go to hell over our dead bodies. That, God, we desire for your glory to be known. We desire for people to know you. And, God, now we see, if not us, who? There's no one left. It must be us. And you've called each and every single one of us and you've given us the incredible privilege to be a part. And, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that you've removed all possible obstacles or barriers for us to think there's anybody that could potentially be called to being part of this great, great commission of having beautiful feet than us here at Faith Bible Church. What a gift. What a privilege. Lord, we pray more and more that you would help us to be a people that glorify you with our lips. We glorify you with our feet. And we would go out into this world and make you known. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name.